This is episode number 83 with Larry Broughton. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the American Snippets podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Once again, my name is Dave Brown, and I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. And each week, we share inspiring stories and interviews from social media influencers, celebrities, veteran entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, and exceptional Americans who are giving back both in business and in everyday life. And it's our goal each week to feature stories that will not only inspire you, but propel you into action in your own life. And today's guest is going to do just that. Living an intentional life with hospitality trendsetter, Larry Broughton. And you know here at American Snippets, we believe that the American dream is alive and well, uh, and it's attainable for anyone who is willing to work for it. And Larry Broughton is a perfect example of this. Larry left home as a teenager and pursued his passion for martial arts. And that passion led him to the military where he served as a Green Beret. And like so many veterans or really anyone who lives with intense driven purpose, losing that purpose sent him towards a dangerous path of a depression and self-destructive behavior. Larry openly shares his story of falling into dark places and the difficult road he had to travel to crawl out of them. But it is often said that it's darkest before it's dawn, and it wasn't long before he attained massive success in several different industries. He is a leading hotelier, a sought-after speaker and strategist, and an accomplished author. But the role he most loves is the hat of being a father. Listen in with Barbara Allen as Larry offers some real-life lessons on being intentional with life and how you can build your own American dream. Hi there. Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Some of you may recognize our guest today from any one of the number of major news shows he's on or the TV shows. Perhaps you've been lucky enough to be in an audience when he's spoken or read his book. But he is everywhere, and today he's here on American Snippets, and we are super excited to have this opportunity to speak with Larry Broughton. Larry is a former Army Green Beret. He is a CEO of Broughton Hotels and Broughton uh, Advisory. He is all over the map today. I don't know how he took the time out to, to schedule with us, but we're so grateful that he did, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Barb. I hope I'm not oversaturated yet. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. No. Our audience, well, everybody likes to say this, right? But our audience is, is different. You know, we're a, kind of like a grassroots, hardcore Americana. Love it. And, uh, yeah. And so yeah. your story is perfect. We talk a lot about you know, positivity, possibility, and patriotism. You check all of those boxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is super fun for us to have you there. And one of the interviews that I did get to hear you do, I mean, right away, your story, I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, you know, it's easy for people to look at somebody in a situation and think, oh man, this guy must have had X, Y, and Z fall into place for him. You know, who gave him that to, to reach mm -hmm. that level, right? But when you reach back and you look into your story, 17, you were 17 years old when you head out. Yeah, with, with yeah, out of my parents' brother. place, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, um, we've all got we've all got stories, right? And yes. um, well, I've got something going nutty on my computer right now. Oh, I'm so sorry. There That's okay. No, we, um, so it's listen. So yeah, I moved out when I was 17. My twin brother and our friend Jack and I. We were all kind of independent, and um, you know, it's a lot different than today, right? Where people, you know, people are still living with mama when they're thirty-five. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a great experience. It was kind of scary at the same time. But listen, it's not like I was living in San Francisco or someplace else, you know, or New York. I was living in pretty rural New York right. at the time, and um, yeah, that was it. It was which is where we are now. Yeah. What's that? We're in rural New York now, Hudson Valley. Uh, where, where are you? Uh, we're just past Middleton. We're like a half hour from West Point. All right, good. Yeah, good. Well, I grew up yeah. uh, south of Buffalo near the Pennsylvania border. And it was kind gotcha. of pretty apple orchard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, I have a son up in Buffalo now. Yeah. yeah. So the independence of youth, you know, I think was uh, a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity. I also have a twin brother and I can imagine 
heading out on an adventure with him. And I think there is something about that kind of twin thing. You got the same mindset, right? Like who else in the world would get some crazy notion that you're going to do or wanted and not look at you and say, man, you're crazy, but look at you and say, man, I'm in. Right. Yeah. And it's funny, the older we get, the more similar we realize that we are, you know, he took a different path than I, than I did. Well, we, you know, it's like lots of relationships, right? Sometimes you're walking side by side. Sometimes you're looking across the football field at each other. Sometimes you can't even see each other, but then you come back and particularly, I think with siblings, family members, I think especially twins, Um, you're always emotionally connected. Right. Um, but we went on the martial arts journey together, you know, in our early days and, uh, he went into the military at the same time I did. We may get onto that topic here today, but one of my heroes, because he, um, was very successful, had a successful medical career after he got out, uh, but then he realized it's not my passion. I'm going to go back to what my real love is. That's martial arts, which is pretty risky when you go from a medical career, doing really well, having a great successful practice, people driving for miles to come see you to say, I'm giving that up. I'm going to go do what I love and what I'm passionate about. And that was, I don't know, I'm going to guess maybe 10 or 15 years ago now that he did that. And since then, he's done a couple of movies. Um, He's been inducted into several martial arts halls of fame. Absolutely. That's awesome. He's absolutely in love with his life. And so I look at people like that and say, love it. That's the way we ought to be living our life, right? When you're doing something you're passionate about and you're good at, it's like a natural strength Mm -hmm. happen in life. So he's one of my heroes. Oh, I love that. I'm going to track you down. We're going to get him on too. That's a great story. I love it. I love it. Make the connection. We absolutely love those stories. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. We're going to go through the little steps and then we're going to get into some like particular questions that I pulled out that I'm very curious to hear, you know, your answer and your take on. Okay. Uh, the martial arts world, how is that? I mean, that has to be super competitive like anything else, but it has to take a high level of commitment and dedication. Do you feel like that was a good preparation for you to make it through the training for special forces? Yeah, but even before that, I think was just going through Boy Scouts. Um, it was a great experience, and it's sad to me that I see a great organization like that that just, its membership has dwindled so dramatically. And I think yeah. for some reason, I think it's for political reasons, and so that breaks my heart because I think it does a great job of creating young men and women. Now it's yeah. um, but um, you know, I thought that what I loved about that experience is that it, it taught the basics, do the basics really well first, and then you get promoted to the next rank, do those things really well. Then you get promoted to the next rank. So you have building blocks, right? And it's the same thing in martial arts. You start as a white belt, basically, or as a nothing belt, knowing nothing, and then you become a white belt and then you go progress through the ranks. And what I realized in martial arts that um, it wasn't until you attained your black belt, that's when the journey really begins. There's all this preparation at first, but you really start earning once you're a black belt. So I reached, uh, I attained black belt before I went into special forces. And so I understood the mindset. I understood sacrifice. And from Boy Scouts, I understood leadership. I understood um, the dynamics of highly effective teams. But all of that was amplified once I got into uh, special forces. And so, yes, the selection and assessment phase was a pain in the rear. Yeah. Um, the actual qualification course was really tough, but that learning really happened once I got to the A-teams. So, yeah, um, it's funny how life, um, everything is incremental, but I think yeah. sadly, nowadays, so many people want it, and my son included, I love my son, adore my son, um, but he's of that mindset. He wants to be an expert now, Yeah. right? He wants to be world, not world famous, but I mean, he wants to go from zero to be the best lacrosse player without doing mm-hmm. work. You know, I want to be best drum player but i don't want to practice you know um so i don't know if that's the advent of the internet or or what it is but we see experts all around us or we see people that are really good all around us but what we don't see is the pain the suffering the struggle that happened before the thing like yours you you know you look at me and it looks like oh i've got it all together but oh no there are (laughs) a lot here's a scrape on the bottom lots of bruises and bloody broken bones you know in order to yeah Yeah. Yeah, And your story. And like I said, I did have the chance to just hear a couple of your interviews. And I love that you are willing to be so open and honest about it. I know it's difficult to do, 
you had a couple things in there that you know that I could relate to when you got later on and then you hit you hit some hard points. Yeah. So talk about then after your military career, right? Well, first, was there any moment that you're willing, you know, okay, talking about that you had during your service that struck you, that left an, an impact on you that maybe made you like more committed to your service or thinking it was time to go? Oh, yeah, good question. Wow. I've never been asked that before. So listen, I think that what I've learned over the years is that that camaraderie, now I only spent time besides basic training and jump school, I never spent a day in the conventional military. So my entire career, whatever it was, uh, I spent uh, over eight and a half years on special forces, A teams. So I, I don't know the conventional military very well, except by working with them or supporting them. But um, on a special forces day team, the camaraderie is so strong. The thing I guess I learned that when I left the military, I was not intentional for years about building strong bonds, particularly with men. Um, And there's, we we need that because when the going gets tough um, and the chips are down, uh, we need to have people that we can lean on. And I didn't have, there was one phase of my life where I had isolated so much that uh, basically my world crashed down. I had no, nobody to reach out to, I thought, uh, at the time. So that was a key thing. What led me to get out, listen, I traveled around quite a bit. And this is kind of insight into just the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting kind of an inkling for public policy and politics uh, as we had uh, traveled. And I started seeing the way some of these knuckleheads are running countries. And I just said, well, crying out loud, they can do it. I can do it. How hard can it be? Right. And that's kind of my philosophy on everything in life. If someone else has done it, it can be done. A hundred percent. Yep. And so uh, my brother and I, um, what we used to say in martial arts a hundred years ago is only those who can see the invisible can do the impossible. And that's really kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. You know, to visualize it. If you can't visualize it, it's not going to happen, right? And so as we were traveling around, I saw some of these knuckleheads who were running these countries. I thought, well, gosh, how hard could it be? Um, (laughs) So I thought I was going to get out. And so I did. I got out with the intention of uh, studying political science and maybe getting into the political arena somehow, maybe go to get into the State Department. I wasn't really quite sure. But I knew I wanted to play in a bigger um, stage, I guess. And so I decided to get out and go to school. Um, and um, I barely graduated high school. Um, I was not a very good student. It turns out I'm dyslexic, but when I took oh. the ASVAB, I scored really well uh, on, on that and ended up getting in. Uh, they said, well, listen, you can try out for Special Forces. And so I said, sounds good. Let's, let's try it. Let's yeah. try it. So how did you, when did you dis- discover that you had you know, dyslexic? I had, not until I got into the military. Unbelievable. So... I mean, do you look back now or is, I mean, it's a waste of effort, right? To look back, but does it then, did it help kind of click things into place with you? Like, like, oh, this is one reason I struggled so hard or we. Barb, you have no idea. I grew up being told and thinking that I was a dummy. Oh, it's awful. I was going to go to college. I've shared this story a few times. So some of you may have heard this before, but um, you know, when you're like in uh, eighth or ninth grade, ninth grade, and you're going to talk to your high school guidance counselor, guidance counselor, and they're going to guide you through. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe it was like uh, middle of my freshman career in uh, freshman year. And so I sat down with her and she said, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And she literally chuckled and said, honey, you're not smart enough to be a veterinarian. Oh my goodness. But if you want to work with animals, we can get you into FFA, Future Farmers of America. And here's this wow. adult authority figure mm-hmm. who's supposed to really have their stuff together and know about learning disabilities and everything else. When they tell you, honey, you're not smart enough, the message to me is I'm not smart enough. Yeah. It didn't stop me from still doing things, but I realized if I wanted something, I was going to have to fight for it. I was going to have to, going to, have to be really yeah. smart. And so I've just learned over the years, if it's worth having, then it's worth fighting for, right? Yeah. Um, and things aren't going to come easy. But no, I didn't know until, yeah, so I just struggled through. Um, honestly, if I'm being honest, I cheated my way through high school. I copied people's papers. 
Yeah. I got busted cheating on a social studies test. I went to, I don't think I've ever said that out loud. It's crazy how you remember that stuff, right? <laughs> well, there's a message there, isn't, isn't there? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you've ever been through a recovery program, they say you got to let that stuff go. This is why yeah. you write this stuff out, right? Right. Um, but I believe me, I've thought about it. I've never said it publicly before, but I remember Mrs. Merriman, I think was her name, busted me cheating on a social studies test um, because I knew. So I, here, Barb, you know, my on my SATs, when I took the SATs or any of those Scantron tests yeah. with the bubbles, I just made designs on them. You know, with oh the bubble, I knew if I answered the questions, I wasn't going to do very well. So it was that bad. Yeah. But now, I mean, I was uh, diagnosed. I went through a training program, learned how to like read much better. Yeah. Uh, I learned good. And then you wrote a book. <laughs> I learned good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So now I'm an avid reader. Avid That's amazing. Reader. I, write, I write articles. I write books all the time. Listen, it's not yeah. an easy task. I don't sit down. It takes extra time. Yeah. But it's worth it. And I think that any of your listeners will learn if you want to get clarity of thought, the best thing you can do is to write. Yes. And write it, get as succinct as you can. Yep. Um, so, yes, that was a great, yeah. great, great process. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm a writer, so I agree with you, right? And yeah. I see yeah. writing can do so many things. It's, I think just the act of like going from your head into your hand, you know, onto paper or your laptop or whatever it is, it's an intentional yeah. act and then you see it and it just right. reinforces and right. forces you to dwindle it down. So yeah, right. totally yeah. great. So then after the military, you're then there. I know a lot of veterans come out, uh, you know, and they have kind of lost a sense of purpose. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in life who have something happen in their world, some shift or some change or some loss where they lose their purpose. And it's a very dangerous place for somebody to be. Yeah. How did you get through that point? You saw, you know, to to move forward. Um, it was very difficult. I moved to um, San Francisco, and um, I had a friend who was uh, living there, and he had an apartment in the Tenderloin uh, in San Francisco. If anybody knows the Tenderloin, it is a nasty. Oh, no. It still is, I guess. It's kind of a, a funky uh, place to live. And I'd been out for, I don't know, maybe six months at this point and just felt totally lost. I had no connection with people. I, um, you know, again, I was living in the ghetto in San Francisco or one of the ghettos uh, or really grim, grimy areas. And I remember being up on the rooftop of this little apartment building. Well, little is probably a six story building. Um, and uh, not a Shame to say, I was actually, I broke down in tears, like, what the hell have you done? You know, you had this sense of belonging and purpose. Yeah. And now you're working with drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes in the Tenderloin at at a nightclub or a little motel motel. What have you done? And um, and so I felt pretty desperate. And, um, yeah, I started doing some pretty nefarious stuff, you know, like, rummaging through friends' medicine cabinets and finding Percocets and Vicodin and, you know, stupid stuff, you know, not proud of it, but I'm just, I'm saying it at a point of, it was not fun for a long time. Um, But, um, you know, over time, it wasn't like that, the things changed, but yeah, things changed. I started getting connected with people and um, I started school at this point and really started loving I started taking political science classes right away. I started going to a junior college and really started uh, fueling my mind, you know. Um, yeah. I stopped working out when I first got out of the military. So I went back to the gym, started working out. I got intentional about living. Uh, there you like, go, yeah. And, um, and things started to turn uh, for me. And, you know, it was up and down for years until several years ago. But, um, yeah, it was a process. Um, back then when I got out, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't the support right. systems, I don't think, back then. They didn't have the formal TAPS program, the transition assistance program that they've got now. Um, and I just don't think there was the awareness. I mean, we we're still in, in an peacetime. odd way. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, technically we're in peacetime. Right. We we're still in this post-Vietnam era, you know. Yeah, yeah. Panama had happened. Grenada had happened. Um the, the nonsense in, uh, in in Lebanon and Iran-Contra, all that stuff was going on or it had happened. So, yeah, we are in 
technical peacetime. There's still activity, particularly for the special operations community, uh, but it's not like it is now where there's the awareness. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It. Right. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, veterans in the military weren't even on the radar. Like nobody. I didn't tell anybody anything that I was in the military. People didn't, you didn't know even tell people. Didn't even tell people. Well, oh listen, well, listen. I love San Francisco. I lived there for fourteen and a half years or fourteen years. Um, not the hotbed of welcoming in our veterans. Yeah, uh, I, know. I know it's different now, but nobody wanted to hear you know, that I was a veteran. Now you see better known businesses. You see people right. on their LinkedIn pages say I'm a veteran. I do the same thing now, right? right. Back then there wasn't the, uh, we didn't embrace that's like we, we do now. Yeah. yeah. So what would you then maybe offer as words to a veteran now coming out who is in that gap between purpose, between purpose, he's, you know, in between purposes, you know, sure. and falling into that. Yeah, good question. So the great thing is I live in that world now. Yeah. I live in the world of transitioning vets. Um, I do everything I can to help vets find their purpose through leadership and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that every veteran ought to be a leader or entrepreneur because we have knucklehead veterans just like we have any knuckleheads throughout the yes. segment of society, right? Um, but we are certainly better prepared than our Peers. So if you take a 25-year-old vet mm-hmm. and a 25-year-old non-vet, it's very likely that the vet has been tested, that their metal has been tested, right? That yes. they've really had some leadership, that real-world challenges and experiences that they've had to deal with. And so I think that there's, and what I encourage them to do is, if you don't know what you're doing with your life and you feel lost, just serve. Find something where you can serve other people, even if you just serve your brother and sister veterans, because there's an affinity group there. It's mm-hmm. easy to find veteran groups now, you know. Um, and so affinity groups are really important. Whether you're a business leader that you're trying to launch a product, find your affinity group. They're more likely to buy from you. Um, yeah. you to, uh, start your speaking career. Find your affinity group. Go speak to them. If you're feeling lost, find your affinity group. Connect with them. But so many ways to serve today. And you don't have to like become a volunteer at the homeless shelter. You don't. Right. How about these little tiny things? If you see someone struggling in a parking lot, putting groceries in their car, help them. Yes. You know, if you see somebody struggling putting their luggage into the overhead bin on an airplane, help them. Yeah. Those little things over and over again, done consistently. Yes. Does something to your insides. The world, yeah. the universe, Gaia, God rewards that kind of stuff, you know? you feel better about yourself. So I would just say, if you're having difficulty transitioning, find some way to serve, but do not squirrel up. Don't isolate. That is the worst yeah. thing you can do is isolate. It is. And um, yeah, and I, I know that from my own experience and I know that you've been through it yeah. through it as well. So, yeah. and, and I, I'm i going to ask you about that in a minute. Right. If that's, right. that's okay. Um, sure. So yeah. then you, you found your way through that tough time, which I also applaud because I know people, you know, personally who did, who were in that path and did not find their way out and destroyed their life and a lot of other lives in the process. Yeah. And so sadly, I know that, yeah. Sadly, we, a lot of us know. Yeah. Probably, probably all of your listeners know someone yeah. through to the other side. Yeah. And so it always makes me happy when I see somebody who, who makes it through. Um, yeah. You know, yeah me too. For that person. It's one of the reasons why I speak about it publicly yeah. um, because I didn't know anybody. You know, I didn't know people when I, when I were, when I was, had been at my deepest, darkest times, I didn't know anyone else who had been through it before. Yeah. We didn't have podcasting interviews like this. No. Was going yeah. um, people didn't read, uh, write that much about failure and addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just wasn't, the internet wasn't as popular. It wasn't cool, yeah. You know? yeah. And um, so I, too, applaud people who have found their way through because a lot of people still don't. Yeah, no, and so it's good. So there's a, another box to check where Larry has something to teach people. Jeez, <laughs> crushing it, and we're not even halfway through. Okay, so so you make it yeah, out of you know your military service, and you battle your way through those troubles. 
then you find you find that first job, the first job that led you down the path where you are. What can you talk about that? Sure. That job? So when I started going to school, I really wanted to get in the political arena. And so I started mm-hmm. volunteering on different political campaigns. I didn't really know what political party I was in. And so I was volunteering on you know, presidential campaigns and local campaigns on both sides of the aisle. I really realizing I don't fit either one of them. You know, <laughs> they're idiots. They're idiots. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> they're dogmatic. They're dogmatic. You know, they're not practical. They're not pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, and I'd hear some of these politicians talking about foreign policy, and they'd never been out of their not technically, but out of the country, right. out of the state. They've never. They've never seen the world real, you know, firsthand. And it used to drive me bonkers. Um, but I continued with that. And um, uh, but during this whole time, my first job was as a night auditor at a little no-tell motel uh, in San Francisco. And um, it was literally a pay-by-the-hour place when I got there. But it paid me a whopping five bucks an hour. Um, went in at 11 o'clock at night, got up at seven o'clock in the morning. The job really only took a couple of hours, you know, the technical part of the job. Um, and so I spent the rest of the time, uh, like doing homework and getting ready for school the next day. And so it, it served a purpose. Um, plus the apartment that I was living in, if you call it an apartment when I first moved there, it was a tiny studio apartment. There were three of us living there. And so, um, I worked at night so that when the other two guys were gone out working during the day, I slept, you know, during the day while they were. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a pigsty. But anyway, um, <laughs> so after being there in this job uh, as a night auditor for, I don't know, eight months, probably, um, an investment group came in to buy this little no-tell motel uh, to turn it around, convert it into what ended up becoming what's considered one of the first boutique hotels uh, in the country. And, um, yeah. And so the young managing member of this investment group was only 18 months older than I was. He was a young Stanford MBA grad. And, um, we kind of hit it off. Um, we were from opposite sides of the track is what we used to call it where I, where I grew up. Like I was like literally, you know, on one side of the track, <laughs> you know, and rich people were on the other side. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so, um, his father was a Stanford MBA grad as well, and they put together a great investment group. And so um, they renovated this property, and I was kept on and became a manager at the place. And just I started realizing that the hotel industry kind of met a lot of my needs. Um, now, it didn't hurt for sure that all of a sudden I was working in this dysfunctional, at first, this dysfunctional work unit where without any real leadership. No one was admiring anybody because literally like the guy, one guy who worked the uh, three to 11 shift before me uh, was a heroin addict. And the the guy who worked the seven to three shift was on probation for being a pimp. The general manager, rest his soul, became a good friend of mine, um, was an alcoholic, um, barely functioning. Right. There was nothing really. There was no kind of outward redeeming qualities about this cast of characters. No. <laughs> I was barely functioning, right? But I was, but anyway, so based on I real world leadership experience and I was um, willing to work that crazy shift, I was kept on, became a manager at this uh, company. And uh, we ended up, ultimately I became a partner uh, in the company. And we ended up acquiring about 14 hotels over about a 14 year period. And um, I learned a lot because here's the funny thing about the hotel industry. It's got real estate, finance, team building, uh, let's say leadership, marketing, all kinds of stuff, right? And so with my kind of schizophrenic, (laughs) bright, shiny object personality, there are all kinds of things that got me interested uh, in it. And so uh, at the same time, I was realizing either I don't have thick enough skin or I don't have the patience for the political arena, right? uh, Right. So I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on on uh, this this hotel thing, and I ended up making it a career. And then it got to be about the late '90s, and it was making a great deal of money. Um, I had gotten married in the late '90s, and uh, I'm since divorced. But at the time, uh, my former spouse was working as many hours as I was, crazy hours. We were trying to start a family. Yeah. Um, and so I finally just said, you know what? We don't need to work this hard. We have all these all this money coming in from the, the hotel company. Let's kind of 
retire, semi-retire and move to Santa Barbara where we both loved. Um, and uh, we did that and we started our family. So it was a, a interesting journey, but I ultimately uh, didn't do that. I didn't do the hotel space for a, about a year and a half, probably bought a couple of restaurants in Santa Barbara, but quickly got back into the hotel industry. because I just missed it so much. But so it sounds like you had so much life experience before then, and then you get to this place and you're still you know, young, you know, on the young side and you get to retire well before, right. Soft retire, you know, before right. most people even have that R word in their head, it would seem like you got to the point in life where, okay, I made it done. I worked hard. Everything came out the way it was supposed to. And I'm in, and that can be a good place to be in, but I think it can also be a vulnerable place to be in because you're not prepared if something crashes or maybe you, yeah. you what allow really, things. Yeah. What I realized I needed was this rest. Yeah. I didn't need to retire. I needed that retirement. Rest. Yeah. I never taken time off from my first job, you know, was a dishwasher during high school at a restaurant. Then I um, started working at McDonald's, um, doing the martial arts thing at the same time while I was working at McDonald's. Um, went right into the military, like not taking a day or a week off in between any of these things. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, it was never, and I'd never even really taken a, any kind of significant real vacations, yeah. right? And so, yeah, I think I just needed a, a rest. I needed a break. I needed to kind of regroup. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what I did. But then the interesting thing is when I finally officially launched my hotel company in 2001, it was a pretty rough time. Um, I put the first hotel into escrow in November of 2000. Didn't even really have my hotel company formed. Um, closed escrow in January of 2001. And um, if people can think back to that time, um, it was the uh, dot-com bomb. Yeah. That just blew up, led to a, a national and a global recession at the time. So people weren't traveling. Mm -hmm. All of the money that was, that was coming in for me was from my investments in our hotels, my former company, all in San Francisco. But then SARS hit. I don't know if anybody remembers the avian flu. Uh, SARS, oh, my gosh. Right? Splash back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what yeah. does that have on you? Because that yeah. was in Asia, right? Well, a third of our uh, revenue or a third of the travelers to San Francisco were from Asia. Wow, right. who thinks? Already down, and yeah. then Asians stopped traveling, and so our investments in San Francisco, the hotels that we had in San Francisco at the time, lost value of about forty-five percent in that one-year period. Ouch! And so I went from um, I used to get distribution checks, right, where profit, mm -hmm. you're an owner, you're getting distributions, right? But that flipped all of a sudden. I got to start writing capital call checks, which means we can't make payroll. Mortgage needs to be paid, and we don't have the money. Okay, owners, buck up with the capital. Up. Yeah. So things started flipping very quickly, and I didn't have the money to do it. I was building a hotel in San Francisco or in uh, Santa Barbara. Um, had staff to pay payroll for. Had a hotel out in Palm Desert that we are um, renovating. Needed money for that. It was pretty rough, and then nine eleven hit. Yeah. Um, and um, it turned into. People in the business community, particularly in the travel industry, turned into like the Walking Dead. Yeah. It, was, it was rough. It was rough. So um, that was a very, very, very difficult time uh, in my life. And that was probably one of the deepest, darkest seasons of my life. Yeah. And all those ripple effects that you don't think of. And in the, you know, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 or there's immediate moments, especially for the people who were directly impacted. It could be hard. You know, my husband, he was one of the first National Guard on the scene at 9-11 that day. And, you know, that started the beginning of, the, of what was the end for us. But it can um, it can be hard for people who are so emotionally and personally and physically impacted by an event to be able to look up from that giant you know, dust plume and see that that dust reaches all the way over there to somebody in an own you know, different different way. And I think looking back all these years later... I think a lot of us are only just now beginning to understand the overarching impact of that day and that a lot of people 
That is so well put, Barb. I totally agree. And for me, it, it took a long time. And it wasn't until a few years ago after my divorce um, where I started to realize that um, it was 9-11. I did not get deployed after 9-11. Um, I was a civilian at that point. Um, I remember uh, the day that it happened. I was We had just opened our hotel up in uh, Santa Barbara. And my wife and then baby uh, yeah. was there. She was only a few months old. Um, and, uh, I saw it happen on TV. They were still sleeping. And, um, I remember walking back to the, to the guest room where she was sleeping. Cause I knew I was going to have to tell her as I was walking back is like, I'm going back in. I'm going, yeah. I'm going to, I've got to go enlist. I have to do a re-enlist. I have to do it. And, um, so I remember telling her about it and like, she was in total disbelief and shock. Like most of us were. Yeah. And when I told him going back in, she goes, absolutely not. You are not going back in. Um, and she meant it, you know. Yeah. Um, you've got a wife now. You have a daughter. You're not going back in. There are other people who can do that. Right. And I fought with her for a while, for a few days about it. And then I said, you know, she's probably right. But I'll tell you, we never talked about it after that. And I carried that resentment towards her. Wow. Which yeah. is bad. Um, okay. for years and I never really processed it until a few years ago that that was one of the things that was always under the surface that I could never verbalize yeah. so there was the guilt you know that I didn't go back in while I had brothers who were right. my age going back in but my wife wouldn't let me you know <laughs> and so I was blaming her when really I should have been blaming myself or I should have talked it through or, yeah. or done something right I'm um, so you're right the ripple effects are crazy in ways that we can't even fathom, but we have to be intentional about, I've used that word three times, I think, so far. Yeah. So that's the talk. That's it, being intentional. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> but i got to be intentional. If I want to live a healthy life, I have to stop, breathe, and think. That's a tough thing to do. Yes. For most of us, right? Yeah. So yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a very difficult, difficult season. And financially, of course, it just uh, it led to me having about, $84 in the bank and um, uh, me not uh, having a network of people around me. Uh, yeah. And it was very, it was very difficult. My, it, uh, my wife left with my young baby in December uh, of that year because of some nefarious, stupid stuff that I had been doing. Um, not sharing with her the, um, the reality of uh, the situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so anyway, so um, it was a wake up call for me. And, um, so I ended up, um, having kind of this moment of, I knew I just needed to surrender to the world. Like my best efforts got me here. I've got 84 bucks in the bank. Um, my life is in the toilet. My wife has left me. I don't know how to pay payroll. What the hell am I going to do? And so I ended up uh, hearing in my head, you know, this, like literally there are probably some listeners who can relate to this. I literally pulled out my life insurance policies, calculated up all my little my net worth, and realized I'm worth more dead than alive. That's what it got down to, right? Yeah. And it was, um, uh, thank goodness, uh, I didn't actually go through uh, with what I had been thinking at the time. Um, but um, what I had to end up doing is just surrendering to the universe and to myself and say, I got to reach out. I, I, had been, I had been pretending to the world that I had it all figured out, that I knew that I was the smartest guy in the room. I started believing my own press, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stopped dealing, uh, having mentors in my life. I stopped going to a mastermind that I used to belong to. I had zero accountability partners. I was just a free agent flying solo. And I realized, listen, snipers have sniper buddies. You have swim buddies. <laughs> Everybody, no one does anything yeah. in the by themselves nobody yeah and here i am trying to think i'm taking on the business arena by myself I'm yeah. Not that, Crazy. Right? yeah so anyway thank goodness things turned around and i humbled myself and um, started actually asking for help that, that is good i think that's another important message i mean i don't know too many people who haven't been at some level of their life where they needed help no, yeah. I didn't reach out. And I, I had, you know, one of my own version of that moment. I can remember sitting in my bedroom after, like a couple of days after my husband had been killed. And I could hear my four little boys out in the living room with my mom laughing. And I was 
crying and holding that pill bottle. And I'm like, they're better off without me. I can't raise them. They deserve better and all that. But, you know, I hear this voice and, I'm, and obviously, you know, I, I don't do it. And then uh, I didn't fully invest in my own life, but I had my four accountability partners built in, you know, who, who demanded that I at least show up. So I think for people who don't, I think that's a huge point. It's for the people that don't have some driving for something compelling them to kind of anchor them on this side where, or, or they feel that disconnect where they don't feel that that is an anchor anymore could be huge. And so what did it, what was it for you? You, you found that like you had that moment in your head and I want to just dig into this for a minute because I know there are people listening who are in that dark time and they don't want to reach out to people. I know what it was for me that got me to reach out, but what was it for you that took you from that thought? Like, Hey, I need to reach out to actually taking that step and reaching out. So I have to get focused here. I'm going to lose it. Okay. Um, (laughs) So what it was for me is I remember, this is so silly in some ways. So uh, it's going to be great. My former spouse (laughs) and I were total dog people. We had this dog named Madison and another (laughs) dog, Abraham, um, a Rhodesian Ridgeback and a boxer. And I remember with uh, Madison, our Rhodesian, I mean, our, our boxer, I remember saying to her when we were trying to get pregnant, you know, do we really want to get pregnant? Really? I mean, are we ever going to love any anything as much as we love Madison? <laughs> Is that even possible? Um, like, that was the conversation. Uh-huh. I, I really didn't know how love, yeah. I really didn't. I'm just, I'm, I was inept in that area. Yeah. Um, and so um, I remember when my daughter was born and I was there and, you know, uh, the, the story, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah. And when I saw my daughter, it was literally like my heart grew two sizes. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what unconditional love was. None. Zero. Yeah. I knew that I would, you know, do whatever I could for any of my you know, veteran buddies or any of my team members in special forces. I loved my team members in special forces more than I loved my family. Yeah. Right? Um, and I didn't have that any longer, you know. Um, but when um, when I was literally on my knees and hearing this, you know, surrender repeating in my head, which I didn't even know what that word was uh, at the yeah. time. Like, what? F in no way. Yeah. It's a different kind of surrender. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But what I realize is that there's strength in surrender. This yes. kind of surrender. It takes courage to surrender. Yes, a hundred percent. Because we hang on to things out of fear. Yeah. You know, we want to control things out of fear. And when I realized that my best efforts got me there to that point where I'm on my knees, where there's I have no business people, nobody who's smarter than me in my organization. I had no mentors. That was because of me, not because yeah. of anything else. Um, and I thought, and I really, I did that mental math uh, that a lot of people do. Okay, if I end it today, I'm, I won't be putting my family through it. But what I realized, I have now this daughter who I'd realized I had an inkling of what real love could be. Um, and all of a sudden it hit me about this multi-generational impact of me doing good or bad, right? Of me being around or not, like multi-generational yes. impact. And that ripple effect, that dust cloud, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yes, I, I, for some people, I get that the darkness gets so bad. I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. I understand it. But I said, all right, if ever there was a time for you to be a warrior and fight, now is it. Now is the time. Love it, yeah. So I uh, got up, and back then we had Rolodexes, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what those are. Or, or, or a little <laughs> planner. And so I started yeah. And admitting what, what I've done, like huh. I am trying to build this company. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am in the weeds. I am undercapitalized. I'm over leveraged. I don't have money to pay payroll. I need mentors. I just need help. Are you willing to help? Yeah. The nonsense I told myself prior to this is like, if anybody knows the position you're in, they're not going to trust you anymore. They're not going to like you anymore. They're going to think that you're stupid. Whatever the negative chatter was going on in my mind. Yeah. Um, I, the pain I was feeling at that moment was worse than the embarrassment that I had prior. And I knew that for my daughter's sake, for this kind of glimmer, this vapor of an image of how my life could be for that sake, I needed to one more time, just reach out to people. And so I did. And the funny thing is people said, yeah, I'll help. 
Isn't that crazy? Right? Yeah. Wait a so, minute, you said yes? Wait, and, yeah, exactly. and you're telling me like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with that. I had a mentor finally when I shared yeah. this with him who said, okay, if someone came to you in the position that you were in, yeah. would you kick him to the curb or would you help him? And I said, of course I would help. And he said, how are you different? Are you that much better or that much worse than anybody <laughs> else that's out there? Love yeah. it. Right? And so um, it really taught me about the power of asking for help. Right. Yeah. About anything, about anything. Yeah. There's very little that any of us do very little good or bad that someone else hasn't done before. Right. Yeah. And haven't you noticed that when you go out and buy a new car, all of a sudden you look around and everybody's got the same car that you have. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. It's not like there are more of those cars that that car had never been out there before. Rarely. Right. right. Um, but when you finally admit, I've got an addiction, I've got a sexual problem. I, um, I got a domestic problems. My business is failing. You mentioned yeah. all of a sudden, I do too. Same thing. Yeah. How can we help each other? Yeah. I think there's great value uh, in that. So that really turned things around. And and sure enough, as you kind of had alluded to, there was someone who said, yeah, I'll help you. In fact, I've got a couple of hotel deals and I need help on. Will you talk to me about them? And all of a sudden, it went from making wow. no money yeah. um, to all of a sudden, I had income, you know? Yeah. And um steady income and so that really gave me some breathing room um, but it, it took me asking for help which is a really hard thing to do for a which lot of takes courage yeah it does to kind of humble yourself and submit to that whole well you think you're humbling yourself but you're really not i mean it's that whole mindset you got to get out of well here's the thing you need to realize when you ask for help you move closer to your fullest potential yes. you, your life closer to your fullest potential you're helping other people out had I ended it that day on December 4th, back then in 2001, I have now touched, without exaggeration, um, mm -hmm. through the books, through the speaking, through the TV, millions, millions yeah. Yeah. with a positive message about entrepreneurship and leadership, right? That would have ended. Yeah. I would not have built a great legacy for my, my daughter and my son. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's life-changing when you realize the pause, and by the way, I can easy, easily connect with people now because I share their story. I've been there too. Yes. And I had tons of people come up and sit to me and said, I never would have told my story had you not told yours. Isn't that great? Yeah. That, that makes yeah. all the difference. Yeah, it does. All the difference. Yeah. So, yeah, you went from that. So where is your, give, give people an oversight of your businesses today to what you've mm -hmm built today you have how many hotels and you have the survival yeah, so we're pushing 20 hotels at this point um and most of them are mm -hmm. california we have four in chicago um and um we've signed a couple of really great deals in the last uh, couple of months where we'll probably five years from now four years from now we'll probably be pushing 50 hotels um that's and, amazing yeah. yeah yeah so that that's great um so I do that. I do a lot of uh, public speaking on leadership, entrepreneurship, team building, you know, defining the odds kind of stuff. I get a big kick out of that because why do I do that? Well, because I absolutely bombed a couple of times giving keynote speeches. I was absolutely fearful of it and bombed in a big way in very public settings. And uh, here's a lesson for people. Um, after I bombed the second time, so I bombed twice in a matter of four, three days, two day, three days. Um, I went to my assistant at the time, her name was Katie, and said, Katie, I need you to give me 30 talks in 30 days. Oh, man, I'm going in. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I don't care wow. when I can do a Girl Scout troop, a prayer breakfast at Denny's. Um, <laughs> I need to be wow. at 30 talks in 30 days. And, um, and she did it. And there were some days where I didn't have anything, but there were Fridays, I remember, where I would do a prayer breakfast, a lunch meeting at the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, an evening mixer at the business council in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and what I learned during that process was I had to find my own voice. Mm -hmm. When you do 30 talks in 30 days, you don't have time to prep yeah. some new keynote. That I'm gonna, what I was doing is I was copying everybody else. I was copying what yeah. they were doing on stage. I was copying the inflection in their voice and their cadence and how they walked and how they read their speech and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And I said, that all goes out the window and I'm going to get real. I'm going to be yeah. off. Because when you just show who you are, yeah. love me or not, I don't care. You know, yeah. but um, I'm going to talk to you about my story. And Perfect. so that, that really helped. Um, 
And so I do a lot of keynote speeches. I do consulting on the same topics I've been talking about. Uh, for small businesses all the way up to, you know, Fortune 50 organizations and even the Pentagon. Um, and I've got a coaching and mentoring program uh, for uh, for entrepreneurs. I write books, articles. I It's hard for me to sit still. I just do everything. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Here's the thing. I, I realize, here's the word again. When you get intentional yeah. about yeah. then it's easy to do stuff. But if you're just a leaf on the wind. Yes. And I get my, the, the pace of my life is not for everybody, but the pace of my life is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I love what I do. I love the impact that, that I'm making. Um, are there sacrifices? Absolutely. There are sacrifices, but that's what life is. Life is about pain and sacrifices and how we respond to it. Once we accept that and say, it's not fair that, you know, I'm struggling all the time. How about just embracing the struggle? Sorry. I know that's not going to sit well with a lot of viewers here. No, to do that. Yeah, it's true. I was that's so funny. I was just going to ask you, like, for a like a tough love truth that people don't want to hear, but will help, and that was it, like right there. Embrace the suck. How about that? Yeah, embrace. Yeah, man, that is true. The harder you run from it, the more power you give it. I think you got it. Yeah, I think that so many people. One of the things I like to say is reality is your friend. Yeah, accept it. Accept accept reality. But so many of us, Barb, get sucked into um, chasing success yes you know because what you go on instagram you go on any social media and people are showing their fancy cars and their watches and they're flashing money in front of you um and look how successful i am and i can tell you that was my mo for a yes. short period of time look at me look what i'm doing and it was i did think that that part of my life was a zero-sum game if someone else was winning, it meant that I was losing. And I love to win, but I despise losing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so back then I thought, well, that's no good. And so I just chased it, chased it, chased it, burned through a relationship because of it. Marriage, let's be specific. Um, almost lost my kids because of it. And it took that hitting bottom when that happened, uh, whatever that was, almost nine years ago, for another awakening, right? And I realized. If you want success, stop chasing it. Yeah. Stop it. But instead, seek a life of significance. How can I serve my family? How can I serve my team members? How can I serve my community? How can I serve my place of worship? How can I serve the barista in my favorite coffee shop? Right? When you start serving and seeking significance, success is the byproduct of it. That's a hard truth. Stop it chasing is. success. Reality is your friend. It is. And I know, I remember being in this terrible, terrible, terrible spot two or three times in the past 13 years, you know, and people would say things like that to me. And I would just, I would want to just get them out of my house, out of my life. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm trying. What do you think I'm trying to do? You know, up your, I mean, I would just get nasty with them. So I'm like, well, what the hell do you think I'm trying to do? Idiot. Yeah. You know, like, but it's, it's freaking true, man. It's true. It's <laughs> there is such power in that and that's a hard it's it's like against instincts like when you're climbing something you got to reach that next thing you're so afraid to let go where you are right because you think you're in a fall and you're like you're crazy i'm not jumping that but you have to this is one of those situations i don't know if you've ever watched seinfeld but there's a character george costanza right and there's an episode so you know the typical george had no luck with women no luck with work you know, he was always the, the dour, dopey loser. Yeah. And so George, one day, decides he's going to do everything against normal George would do. So he's the anti-George. And all of a sudden, he's got women who are chasing him. He promotes him to work, right? So he's going against his instinct, right? That's what, that's what this is about. you got to go against your instinct when it comes to this stuff. You have to surrender. You have to ask for help. You got to humble yourself. That's what people are attracted to because you know why? Because yeah. they can relate to it. People can't yeah. relate to the people who have never failed. We all have failed. We've all had, you know, made mistakes. We've all had blunders. We all have skeletons mm-hmm. in our closet that we wish, we hope that no one ever finds out about, right? Yeah. yeah. All you put out there is this positive, uh, fake stuff. People can't relate to it. Yeah. So people will totally. want to help you if you just get real. Totally. All right. I know we're running out of time. Um, I'm sorry. I'll so, no, no, no. That's okay. I don't want to take your time. There's so much. Uh, I could talk to you all day. So 
we talk a lot here. Part of the reason, a big reason we started our whole American Snippets is because it was starting to bother us so much deeply and personally that everybody kept talking about how doomed this country is. You suck, you suck, you suck. You know, we all suck and this country's doomed and the American dream is dead. And I was like, no, that's not what my family gave so much for. It's not what all yours do either. So we believe in the American dream very strongly. We'd love to feature people like you who have found it. No matter what the odds you're up against, you find it and you help others do the same. But then we also like to ask you, what does that actually mean to you? What does the American dream, how do you define that? Yeah, um, this is so corny and cliche probably, but it's freedom. Yeah. Freedom to do whatever the hell I want, you know? especially if I'm serving other people, serving my family and not intentionally hurting other people. So I'm a big believer in free speech. I don't care whether you're a friggin' Nazi or not. I will not like you, but I want your voice to be heard. The more I allow people to talk, um, the more we have dialogue like this. I'll tell you, I went on a a podcast in New York a while back and um, not to be boastful, but typically when I do podcasts or interviews, people get pretty good responses. They connect to it, right? Yeah. But this podcaster did not like some of the stuff that I was saying because I just disagreed with her about the, you know, how women uh, are totally exploited by the patriarchy. It's like women are powerful, you know. That men have been fighting for women for decades. Yeah. Roe v. Wade was all men and and the su- Supreme Court, you know, men in Congress. Women's yeah. suffrage, men fighting for women. You know, I listed all these things and she didn't like it. And she tried to basically shut me down and didn't want to hear it. And never aired the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. My thing is this. Well, why? Because she didn't like that I had a dissenting voice. Wow. I, I love dissenting voices. I do too. I find it fascinating. Let's I'm talk so about it. Let's have fun. Yeah. I, we can talk about it. It doesn't mean I need to choke you out and you don't need to choke me out. Right. I love freedom, freedom to do what I want, the job I want. You know, uh, I've been to Bali a bunch of times in Indonesia. Um, we have a couple of hotels there. And that's still a caste system. Yeah. So if your grandfather was a stone carver, your father was a stone carver. You are a stone carver. That whole society is being turned on its head, though, right now because of the hospitality industry. Cool. Generations ago, people weren't born into the hospitality. You know, yeah. my father didn't work in a hotel, right? We're not like that here in the U.S. You really do have, if you're willing to bust your tail, and it's so much easier nowadays with the internet, podcast, YouTube, right. you really can get a basic understanding of anything that you're interested in to find out, hey, is this something that I want to pursue? So, yeah. I mean, freedom. I just love that we've got freedom, um, particularly freedom of speech, because most countries around the world, I think we're the only country, I think, somebody can correct me, I think we're the only country in the world that where freedom of speech is a constitutional amendment love it and you're one of the people we have to thank for that so uh, thank you, know, you. a small part for me geez uh, so if people want to find out more about you follow you get more information on how to book you or buy your book you know where can they go um well like you said earlier i'm everywhere <laughs> yeah, you are i'm on all the social media platforms uh instagram is kind of my preferred one uh and you can just dm me uh there but it's just like uh, at Larry Broughton um, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram. But I really Instagram is probably the fastest way. But um, I've got a website. Um, it's LarryBroughton.me. LarryBroughton.me. Um, if people want to like see our, well, you can go there and it's got links to our hotel portfolio, my coaching program, speaking books, all that kind of stuff. That's really probably the easiest way. So Larry Perfect. Broughton. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. All right, Dave Brown here again. Man, oh man, what a fantastic interview. We can listen to Larry Broughton all day long. He has so much insight and knowledge, and it was just a pleasure to have him on the show. So I personally like to thank Larry for being here today, sharing his story with us, and i like to thank you as well, the listener, for tuning in. And we appreciate the kind words, support, and reviews that we get each and every week from uh, our listeners. If you got some value out of this episode or any episode that we've done in the past, please leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the show. Reviews go such a long way in helping us get these stories found. And, and quite frankly, these are stories and messages that deserve to be heard. So 
Leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And make sure you subscribe to our email as well, our newsletter. You can do that over at info.americansnippets.com. We're going to be having a review contest here in a couple weeks, and we're going to be giving away some super cool prizes that you're not going to want to miss. So make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. And if you want to learn more about Larry Broughton, you want to watch the full video interview that we did, check out the the featured article that we did on Larry, head on over to americansnippets.com. It's the featured article of the week, americansnippets.com forward slash zero eight. Three, we have some social media links there where you can uh, click and follow Larry as well. So we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. 